0: We are going to be in First Thessalonians, page nine hundred and eighty-six in a pew Bible this morning. I'm grateful that you're here this morning. I'm grateful that you that are here in the sanctuary with us at least uh, made it down the snowy roads that you've come. I know some of you are online today. I know some of you headed this way and turned around and went home and are watching the the stream this morning and. And, and that's what we want. We want you on Sunday mornings, we want you to be able to make the decision on whether or not you can come and to be a part. We're, we're much slower on Sunday mornings. We're much slower to, to cancel our services because it's daylight. Uh, we, we know that you can make the decision as you come and, and turn around and go home if you need to. On Wednesday nights, we call Wednesday nights a little bit quicker because of our vans and our buses and the responsibility that we have to bring those children here. We know we have teenagers that drive on Wednesday nights, and uh, so we, we feel a responsibility for them on the roads. And, and it's dark and oftentimes colder in the evening. And so that's, that's kind of our policy on Sunday mornings. If we feel like we can get here and the roads aren't closed, uh, we're going to try to gather and, and to meet together, and that's what we've done this morning. And so I'm grateful, again, that you're here. If you're online watching, uh, I'm grateful for that as well. And grateful that we that we want to be together, that we want to worship together. That's part of what Paul even is going to tell us about here in Thessalonians, in this letter in Thessalonians. And so I hope that you can turn there. The, the, the letters that Paul is writing, as, as we're walking through this series on Paul's letters, um, they all have different tones, they all have different things that they that they prioritize, different messages that they want to share. We just came out of Galatians. That was the first. That was the first letter that Paul wrote to the churches in the Galatia area. And, and as we've said the last couple of weeks, he wrote it, and you, could, you can tell as you read it, he was exasperated, he was frustrated that there was this group of people that were trying to, to promote circumcision and promote needing to fulfill the law of, of Judaism on the new Gentile believers. And so he wrote this letter, he was exasperated, he wanted to get the message out that was the tone of galatians the tone of first thessalonians is entirely different paul in fact spends the majority of the book the first part that we're going to look at today he he has a whole different flavor he he wants to encourage the believers he wants to 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 help them to grow in their faith this is a 1 Thessalonians is, is a book of, of, a majority of it is encouragement. Even the exhortation that he gives that we'll look at next week in chapters 4 and 5, even those exhortations are encouragement to the believers. It has a whole different taste, a whole different flavor than what the book of Galatians did. This this. Part of the, the, the story, the, the letter to the Galatians, comes if you're following along in Acts. And remember, that's why we're, we're looking at these letters. It's because we've walked through Acts. We know Paul's story. We know Paul's history. This letter comes in his second missionary journey. So in Acts chapters 15 to 17, right in there, you'll see that, that Paul, if you remember, in, in Acts 15 is the council, that's, that's what we've been talking about with Galatians. They had this, this idea of circumcision was such a big deal. They gathered together in Jerusalem to have this council with the early disciples. They had to decide, is circumcision necessary for all believers, Gentiles, Jews, all believers? Did they need to follow circumcision? Did they need to follow the law? And they came out of that council and said, "No, they don't. The gospel is going to the Gentiles. They no longer have to follow in the law and the the law of circumcision. They no longer have to follow in that." So they met in Acts chapter 15 in Jerusalem. They had this conference. Paul was there, but the disciples were there. They came out of that conference, and Paul immediately—in fact, you can see on the map—Paul heads back to the churches in Galatia. So he takes off towards the north, towards the top of the screen there, and, and what he does right away is, is head back to those same churches. He wants to make sure that his letter got there. He wants to make sure that they've heard what happened, and he, and he wants to share the decision that was made in the council in Jerusalem. And so he heads off on his second missionary journey and takes off through that, that kind of that green area uh, is the churches in Galatia there, Uh, He heads back to those same churches that he had already visited in his first missionary journey. While he's heading that way, he picks up Timothy in Lystra. Timothy then begins to travel with Paul and Silas. It's Paul and Silas now, not Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Silas are traveling together, and he picks up Timothy and Lystra, and he continues on north, and if you remember, we, as we walked through the book of Acts, we kind of walked through that story. He, 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 he continued to try to turn different ways, and the Lord would block him from going certain ways, and so he finally came to the, to the sea there and, and had a dream. The Macedonian man was in his dream and was calling him to come across the sea to Macedonia. And so he does. They they travel across into Macedonia, and we have a zoomed-in picture to give you a little bit of a picture of, of where we're at there. He heads across into, into Nepal and, and Philippi, gets across the sea, and when they get to Philippi, they begin to speak in the synagogues. If you remember as we walked through that story, and, and they get arrested. In the synagogues. And they, they're jailed. And while they're in jail, while Paul and Silas are in jail, there's an earthquake. And the, and the gates open up and the jailer is about to kill himself. Because he's, he's sure that everyone has escaped from the jail. But Paul says, no, don't, don't do that. We're all still here. And the jailer, because of his time with Paul and because of all that's happened in that moment, the jailer says to Paul, what must I do? To be saved, and Paul's response is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And even in the midst of that, they still continue to chase Paul and Silas out of Philippi. And he comes then to, to, in, in Acts chapter 17, he comes to Thessalonica. You can kind of see that there on the map. He comes into Thessalonica and and in Acts chapter 17 he tells us that Paul went on into the synagogue as he did in, in all of those towns and cities. Went to the synagogue and for three weeks, three Sabbaths in a row, he began to preach and share out of the scriptures to the people in Thessalonica. It wasn't very long though before some of those Jewish believers that oftentimes chased Paul and his party out of the town those Jewish believers came, and in fact, they, they made a, a, caused a stink even with the Roman authorities that were there, saying that that Paul was leading people to worship another God besides Caesar. And in fact, if you remember this story in in, in Thessalonica, uh, he 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 begins to to get this Jewish this Jewish mob starts a, a, these Jewish believers start up a mob. They take. Paul before the authorities, and they even say in the midst of that speech, the Jewish mob says, these are the men who are turning the world upside down, and now they've come here into Thessalonica. And so they're chased out. They're there a little bit longer, it says. They, they spend a few more weeks not going to the synagogue, but ministering among the people of Thessalonica. And they soon get sent off then to Berea, and at this point, if you remember in the, in the story of Acts, they come to Berea and, and the Bereans, they're, they're some of the, the, the hero churches in Acts. They, they, they dive into the scripture and they want to know more and more. But it's after that, that, that these last churches had been so hard on Paul that they send Paul, the, the, the early believers, those early churches, they, they send Paul on this cruise ship down to Athens, and, and part of, and I shared this as we walked through the series, part of what they were doing was, was trying to give Paul a bit of a respite. He had been, he'd been jailed, he'd been beaten in Philippi, he'd been chased out of Thessalonica. Just all of these things had come against him over and over, and so they sent Paul on this boat he was, he was sent down to Athens, and when he gets there, when he gets to Athens, he doesn't just sit on his laurels, but he's walking around, really kind of touring the city, and, and comes to the Areopagus there, and, and has this, this whole part on where he begins to say, I see that you have a number of gods that are here. Let me tell you about the unknown god, he says, and begins to tell them, and even begins to teach and preach there in Athens. Silas and Timothy come and join him, and they settle into the town of Corinth. So you can kind of see that on the bottom of the map there. They settle into that town in Corinth, and they're there for for two years, probably maybe a little bit longer. And it's while they're in Corinth that Paul and Silas and Timothy are talking about where they've been and the people that they've met and the churches that they've started and Paul begins to think about the Thessalonians. He begins to think about the church that they started in Thessalonica. If you remember, in their first missionary journey, they went one way, and they went all the way to, the, to, a, to a church, and then they headed back the exact same way and met all of those churches again. I, I think Paul might have had that same idea that at some point I'm gonna get back to this church in Thessalonica. But he hadn't gotten there yet. And it didn't look like he was going to get there anytime soon, and so... Paul and Silas and Timothy begin to talk about how are, how are the believers in Thessalonica doing? They, they were being persecuted. That was the, the story in Thessalonica. There's a story there of Jason who hosts the believers, who hosts Paul and Silas, and they get called before the courts and they have to pay a, a bail to get out of jail. So there's persecution. That was happening while Paul and Silas were there, and, and they assume that that persecution is continued. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy begin to talk, how, how is that church doing? How Have they survived the persecution? Is the gospel still at work transforming the people of Thessalonica? And so Paul decides, it's time for me to, it's time for me to hear how they're doing it. So he, what he does is sends Timothy to go and get a report of the believers that are in Thessalonica. I want to hear how they're doing. I want to know what's going on. I want to hear how the gospel has has worked in these believers. And so Timothy does. He goes. He actually leaves from Athens before they settle into Corinth. He leaves from Athens and goes uh, to visit the, the churches in Thessalonica. And then he comes back. Paul's now in Corinth. Timothy comes back. He shows up. And he gives the report. To Paul. He tells them all about the things that are happening in Thessalonica. He tells them all about the transformation that the gospel is having on the believers in that church. And Paul is so excited about the report that he hears from Timothy. He's so grateful for the report that Paul brings back about everything that's happening in the church that he decides he wants to write a letter to send to the church in Thessalonica based on the report that he has gotten from Timothy. And so, this letter, 1 Thessalonians, is the letter that Paul writes. It's the second letter in the chronology that we have of Paul's letters. This is the second one that he wrote. And he writes it to the Thessalonican church because he wants them to be encouraged. In fact, the first part that I want you to look at in 1 Thessalonians is we're not going to start in chapter 1, we're actually going to start at the end of chapter 2. I want you to look at chapter 2, verse 17 to get started because he tells what I just, what I just told you, that, that story that I walked through there of Timothy coming to check on them, he tells that here in chapter two, starting in verse 17. It's gonna read, read that into chapter three. He says, but since we were torn away from you, he says, for a short time in person, not in heart, we have endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now, Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction... We have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. For, thanks, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all of the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Timothy has brought a good report to Paul. And Paul is so encouraged by it that he begins to write this letter back to them. And so this letter, in fact, especially these first couple of chapters, it, it, it's, a, it's, it, it, it's really personal. It's much more personal than what the letter to the Galatians was. The letter to the Galatians was, again, an exasperated letter that he wanted to go to all the churches so that they would all know that, that he, was, he was combating this idea of needing to be circumcised. Here, he's writing a very personal letter to these believers in Thessalonica, And he wants to encourage them, specifically to encourage them, to specifically encourage this church, this group. And so it's it's almost, as we read these first couple of chapters, it's almost as if what can we gain? I think that's one of the questions we have to ask. What can we gain from this personal letter that Paul wrote to this group of believers in Thessalonica back in 51 A.D.? how does that apply for us here at richland in 2023 we know that all of god's word is useful and beneficial for the believer we know we know that we want to be a people and a church of the word and so this must have some application for us there must be some encouragement that Paul gives to the church in Thessalonica that he can also give to us. And I think there are several things that we can find in these first few chapters. Ways that he encouraged the church in Thessalonica, things that he encouraged them about that we also can be encouraged about as we walk through our church as well. So let's look at a couple of things. We're gonna jump back now to chapter one. Right at the beginning of the letter, Paul begins to write and, and, and he rejoices. These first three chapters are rejoicing. Paul is is trying to encourage. He's, he's, He's being encouraged by the report he got from them. He's trying to encourage them based on the report he got. And he rejoices, we see, because the gospel has taken root and is transforming the believers in Thessalonica. The gospel's taken root and is transforming believers in Thessalonica. We see that in, in chapter 1 right away, in, in starting in verses uh, two, three, four, He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. We constantly mention you in your prayer. We remember before our God and our Father your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel has taken root in you, he says, You have a work of faith, a labor of love, a steadfastness of hope in Jesus. That Jesus, God has chosen you, it says in verse 4. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction, the gospel is taking root in the church in Thessalonica. And Paul is rejoicing in it. He even goes on to say a little later down there in verse six, he says, he says, for you have received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. that The Spirit is at work in you. you there, there, there is hardship, there is affliction. There was persecution that was happening in the church in Thessalonica. And Paul says, these things have come against you, but the gospel, the gospel has taken root in your life. Believers are being transformed. Paul rejoices because he sees the gospel at work. And and I think that's the same encouragement for us as a church as well that we want to rejoice, that Paul, I think, would rejoice at seeing the gospel take root and transform believers. And we want to be a church that celebrates that. We want to be a church that celebrates the gospel taking root and transforming lives. We talk often, I talk often, about how we are in this together, that we join together in this, that, that we are a church body, that we, we come together so that we can tell the stories of the way the gospel is taking root in our lives. We tell those stories. We celebrate the decisions that people are making. We encourage, we encourage the transformations that we see happening. We acknowledge the continued process of how we have moved from death to life, but now God is at work in us. The Spirit is at work in us, and he is changing us. We more and more are throwing off the sin that entangles us and hinders us, and we more and more are putting on the characters and gifts of the Spirit and becoming more and more conformed into the image of the Son. We celebrate those things. Paul celebrated those things in the Thessalonian church, and we celebrate those things here at Richland as well. We want to continue. We want to continue to do that as a body. We want to pray for one another. We want to encourage one another. And I hope you do that through telling stories of how the gospel is taking root in your life. We want to continue to celebrate baptisms together. That's, that's one of the sacraments that we use here at Richland that, that shows that the gospel has taken root in you, that you have moved from death to life, and we want to celebrate those things. We want that to be a part of who we are here at Richland. We're going to continue to do that. Paul continues to rejoice here in chapter 1. He rejoices because the gospel has taken root and is transforming believers but he also rejoices, I think, we see in chapter 1, because the gospel transformation of the Thessalonians is also producing gospel declarations and reflections. The gospel that's taken root in the Thessalonians is producing gospel declarations and reflections. And we see that starting in verse 7. Says you, you, he says in verse 6, you receive the word with much affliction. You have the joy of the Holy Spirit at work in you. And he, and he leads right into verse 7. He says, so that you became an example to all of the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you. The gospel is so taken root in the people and the believers in Thessalonica that now the world around them is also hearing about the gospel of Christ and the transformation that's happening in them. They have become, Paul says, examples all over in all of Mason, and every, Everyone around you knows what's happening in you. The word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, Paul says. Your faith in God. It's crossing borders. It's going across. It's going all through your country. It's going all through the area around where you are there. They know you, and they see God at work in and through you. You've become the spokesperson in that area, Paul says. We don't even have to go. They're giving a report about you. We don't even have to go to be able to do the speaking because you yourselves have become the spokesperson and they report the work of God that's happening in their lives. We want to be encouraged by that. Paul encouraged the Thessalonian church that they were declaring the gospel to the world around them, and so we can see that as a call for us to be a church that declares and reflects the glory of God. It's part of our existence statement that we talk about often. We here at Richland exist so that we might declare The glory of God in the face of Christ. It's one of the things the Thessalonian church was doing so well that Paul began to praise them and tell them through the report of Timothy. Paul also rejoices. He rejoices because the gospel is taking root. He rejoices because the gospel is leading them in transformation and so that they are declaring and reflecting that to the world around them. But we also see in chapter 2 that Paul rejoices because those gospel declarations, those gospel reflections, They aren't pointing to the church, but instead they're pointing to the glory of God. You see it in chapter 2, specifically in verses 4 through 6. He says, just as we've been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is a witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands of the apostles of Christ. We are all about the glory of God. Our declarations, our reflections, the work of the gospel that's implanted in us is not to make much of us. The gospel at work in us is not to declare my name or your name or even the name of Richland. But we exist to make much. We exist to magnify Jesus Christ. It's his name that we promote. It's his name that we lift up. It's his name. It's his renown. It's his glory that we want to ring out. That was the desire of the believers in Thessalonica, and that should be the believers. That should be the desire of the believers at Richland. We want to point to him so that the glory of God might ring out. And Paul rejoices that for the church in Thessalonica, the gospel has transformed them, it's taken root in their lives, that that taking root in their lives has caused them to declare it and to reflect it to the world around them. And they don't do it to lift up their own name, but instead to lift up the name of God. And then we see in chapter 2, as the gospel and the word of God works in them, God has given them grace in the midst of suffering. That the gospel that has taken root inside of them, that is being shared and reflected in the world around them for his name to be seen, also is strengthening them. That same gospel, that same word is strengthening them. We see that in, in verses, in chapter 2 still, in verses 13 through 16. He says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers, you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So that is always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. He says, you, you have received the word of God for what it really is. You received the word that we shared with you, the gospel that we gave to you, what we declared to you, you have taken that for what it really is, the word of God at work in you, the word of God at work in believers. And he says, because you've accepted it that way, because you have received the word of God in you, you're suffering just like the churches in Judea did You are suffering. Your countrymen have come against you just like those Jewish unbelievers did in the churches in Judea. And you are suffering, Paul says. You're suffering like we did. In fact, he even goes on to say you're suffering like we did and you're suffering like Jesus did. And Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, hardships and suffering are going to be a part of your life. Hardships and suffering are going to be a part of your life as a believer. Hardships and suffering are a part of our lives for believers and for unbelievers. But Paul says, the word of God, working in the hearts and the lives of believers, makes our suffering like Jesus. So that you become an imitator, even, of Jesus. Paul's trying to encourage the Thessalonians. He says, I see the gospel. It's taken root in your heart. It's taken root in your life. I see that the gospel that's taken root in you is beginning to spread to the churches and the cities and the area around Thessalonica. Thessalonica. I see that as as that word begins to spread, it's not about you, but it's all about him. And I just want to encourage you that it's gonna continue to be hard. But the word of God is at work in you. Take it for what it really is, the word of God at work in the lives of believers. Suffering is gonna come. Hardship is gonna continue to be a part of what you face. But be an imitator. Of Paul, he says, be an imitator of Jesus. Follow in the suffering of Jesus. In fact, that's what we celebrate this morning. as We celebrate communion together. So that we remember the sufferings of Jesus. Not because, not because we need to take on the sufferings of Jesus, but because Jesus took on the sufferings for us. And so we rejoice today in the hope that we have in Jesus. We rejoice in it together as a body of believers. We stand side by side and take the bread, the body, and take the juice, the blood, and remember the suffering and afflictions that Jesus suffered on our behalf. And we rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus You know how we do this. The elders will come in just a moment. And we have open communion. If you can live under the invitation that's on the screen or in your bulletin this morning, we want you to celebrate with us. We want you, we want you to rejoice in the sufferings of Jesus with us this morning. And so the elders will come and they're going to, to reveal the elements and then they'll invite you to turn and to, and to walk through. If you don't want to take communion with us this morning, that's fine. You can sure come up and pass by the plates or you can stay in your pew, whatever's most comfortable for you. If you would like to be served, the elements, just flag your elder that comes by your pew there and they'll help you and serve you. The worship team is going to lead us. We're going to sing. The elders are going to lead us in communion this morning and we will rejoice in the sufferings of Jesus. Please, oh, let's... We'll stay seated. I don't even remember what we normally do. I'm so confused right now. We'll stay seated and we'll sing together.
1: His gracious come.
0: As we remember the sufferings of Jesus, we take the bread and we remember the body that was broken for us. Take and eat and rejoice. And the blood that was shed for our sins to give us forgiveness for our sins. Take and drink and be grateful. At the end of chapter 3 in 1 Thessalonians, Paul has a prayer for the Thessalonian church that we're going to use for our benediction this morning. Let me invite you to stand as I share our benediction from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul says to the Thessalonian church, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Thank you for coming.